Take our Bibles this morning. We'll be in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. This past week, I sat in an airport, two airports, for several hours, and then on two airplanes over this past week for several hours. You're familiar that when you do that, you come into close contact with many other people. And it's quite easy to become part of or able to hear the conversations going on around you, especially when you lean in like this. (laughs) I'm a bit of a snoop. Uh, I sometimes like to hear what's going on around me, what other people are talking about. Um, You've been in that situation before, and You've probably been in a restaurant or an airplane or someplace public where you weren't trying to ease drop, but you heard the conversations because someone wanted to be heard, right? Uh, They talk nice and loud for the whole airplane to hear them. Uh, Luckily, we didn't have that situation this past week, but it got me thinking about conversations and about important conversations, significant conversations. I was trying to think of maybe some significant conversations that have happened in our nation, and, and, and I thought about, well, those were some pretty significant conversations whenever there was a, a time of uh, ending a war, civil war, World War I and II, those type of things, men and leaders getting together. I've seen paintings, pictures, recordings uh, of these moments and events where treaties were signed and various things, and so obviously some important conversations. Uh, I thought about this, not with our nation, but many of us have experienced this as a nervous young man speaking to a fierce and firm father uh, that you wanted to ask about marrying their daughter. Those are some difficult conversations to start, isn't it? Uh, and if you've been in that side of receiving that conversation, uh, uh, maybe hearing those words come. I remember several years ago when my wife was just about 30 years old, sitting in a hospital room at the Cleveland Clinic and having a conversation with a team of surgeons and finding out my wife needed to have open heart surgery. Those are some significant and difficult and and important conversations. The text I've chosen for today, many would consider to have perhaps the most significant and important or famous verse in the Bible. And I guess if you could only share one verse, only have one verse to hold on to, I don't know of one that is more impactful and and greater than John chapter 3 verse 16. But sometimes when you come to a verse like John 3.16 that is famous, that is significant, that is powerful, we often forget about the verses before and after. We're drawn just to that one verse. And so today I want to consider not just John 3.16, but I want to consider the conversation that was taking place here, the dialogue that was happening in John chapter 3. Uh, nearly over, well, over 2,000 years ago, from verse 1 down to verse number 21. So can we read this conversation and, and, and put ourselves there as these two individuals have this talk? Let's start in verse number 1. 
There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do not know, excuse me, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds might may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of scripture. Lord, I thank you for the entire word of God, your preserved word, your inspired word, your perfect word for us. Lord, as we look into it today, we ask that you would work in our hearts and our lives, that you would minister to us today. You would challenge us today, and Father, would you help us to respond today as we hear your message this morning. Help me today, help my voice, help us to hear and to listen today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, I introduced to you our theme for 2023, Love, Serve, Reach. And I focused on the word love, and I'll continue to do that today. Uh, And we took our thought last week from both the Old and the New Testament. The book of Deuteronomy, we also looked over into the New Testament and considered the passage in Mark chapter number 12, where we learned that we're to love God with all our hearts, souls, mind, and strength. And last week we ended up 
in that message describing or defining that word love by considering those four descriptions, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Me quickly, I won't preach the whole message to you again, but give you those four thoughts from those four words. When we considered the word heart, we considered the depth of our love. How our love for God should be the deepest and most intimate relationship we have. Don't let that scare you. When you love God supremely, you when you love God the most, all other loves are elevated, all other loves are made right, And so put God first in your life and love him supremely. So we talked about the depth of our love. When we considered the soul, we considered about the devotion of our love. Our love for God should be marked by a life of devotion unlike any other relationship we have. We spoke of the mind. We we considered this thought, the word dependence. We looked over in Proverbs chapter number 3 and verse 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding, speaking of the mind, and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And so when we give God our mind, we are depending on him. We are leaning on him, not our own understanding. And our love for God should be one where we depend on him not ourselves. And then when we love God with all our strength, we spoke of the distinct or distinctions that God has placed upon us and how he has gifted each of his children in distinct and unique ways. And we should serve him in that fashion. Well, I continue to meditate on these thoughts of this defining of love we had this past week. And my thoughts then went to this thought of displaying our love. Defining our love, but also displaying love, which led me to the passage here in the Gospel of John. Now, I considered Romans and a couple of passages. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8 is is a tremendous passage of Scripture, culminating in verse number 8. But God commendeth his love toward us. He proved his love. He demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a great way to display love, isn't it? And it's much of what we see here in John chapter 3 as well. I also considered that classic passage in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, where we learn that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Paul goes through various examples of things, height and depth and, and principalities and powers, and he goes through a litany of things and examples And none of those things can separate us from the love of God. But then I ultimately came back to this wonderful passage here, again with this most powerful verse in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this morning, I'd like us to consider and listen to this conversation between two individuals, Nicodemus and Jesus, as found here in John chapter 3. If you have a red-letter Bible in those 21 verses, you see it turns out to be a pretty one-sided conversation. Jesus takes control pretty quick, doesn't he? Nicodemus, there's a little introduction by the Apostle John. 
Nicodemus has a question or a statement about Jesus. We know that, that you must come from God. No man can do the miracles that thou doest. And Jesus takes over for the most part. He begins and, and, and he gives his, his declaration. And, and there's a question or two from Nicodemus again. And then Jesus continues. So I want to look at these, these, this conversation between these two individuals. Uh, let's consider, first of all, these individuals. First of all, there is this man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. We learned a little bit about that last Sunday. A Pharisee was part of this religious group there in, in Judaism. Their name means the separated ones. They were known as the legalist of their day. And so here is this man, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and then it goes on to say that he is a ruler of the Jews. And so in that sect of his religion, the Pharisees, he was a man of position, a man of authority, perhaps a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jewish faith. And so he is a man of position and authority, he's a Pharisee, but I want you to see he is a sincere man. Remember last week I talked about many of the Pharisees and, and, the, and the Sadducees, these religious leaders, they were not sincere in their conversations with Jesus. They often were trying to trap them and trying to trip him up. But we did not see this with, with Nicodemus. He comes to him with what seems to be a sincere and genuine question or, con, or, or interest in Jesus. We see some honesty from him. Notice how he refers to Jesus as a rabbi. That's, a, again, a, a, a name of honor. He's recognizing Jesus as a teacher. He goes on to say in verse number 2, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. There's some humility there, isn't there? There's some sincerity in his question. While there are many others within his, his uh, group of, uh, of religious leaders that are against Jesus, are trying to disprove Jesus, Nicodemus comes to him with sincerity. Now let me pause here today. You may be here today and not know a lot about Jesus. And you may even question whether Jesus is real and if he's truly God and if he's the Savior. And that is okay for you to be in that position. But I would ask you just to come with a sincere and genuine heart and ask God that question. God, if you're real and if Jesus is real, would you show me? And just come in a sincere way. And Jesus and God, they love questions. They love for people to come to him in this fashion. And I would encourage you to have the same spirit and attitude that we see here from this man Nicodemus. But there's a second individual in this conversation. It is Jesus himself. Let me share, share four thoughts about Jesus in this conversation. Notice how purposed he is. Again, we have this, this, these thoughts from Nicodemus in verse number 2. And then verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus gets straight to the point, doesn't he? There's no little introduction. There's nothing like, great question, Nicodemus. Let me, let, let, let's talk about, he just gets right, hey, 
you've got to be born again. He immediately gets to this thought of the necessity. And so he's very purposed in this conversation. Of course, Jesus is God. And so he knew the heart of Nicodemus. He knew that Nicodemus was searching and looking, and so he gets him right to the destination, gets him right to the, to, the, to the point of the matter. You must be born again. Not only is he purposed, but he's precise. He takes time to answer Nicodemus and explain the concept of being born again, even going to the point of illustrating it. Again, in verse number four, Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old, can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I think the, the ridiculousness of that we see in this, this, this response from Nicodemus is him just saying, I don't get what you're talking about. What do you mean being born again? I don't think Nicodemus really thought that he was going to have to be born again physically, but he's saying, what are you talking about? You're taking, speaking of, of a term here, being born again. And so Jesus says, good. Let me explain it to you. And he gives a precise answer in verse number 5 and 6. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is the born of the Spirit is spirit. I believe he's describing for us here a physical birth and a spiritual birth. He's describing here for us, man must be born of water, and he goes on, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and he says they must be also born of the spirit, and that which is of the spirit is spirit. He's describing a physical birth, but then there also must be a spiritual birth. Now you're here today, you've had a physical birth, every one of us. Lord willing, here in a few uh, minutes to hours, there's going to be another little baby born into the congregation here at, at Heritage Baptist Church with the Champagne family. And it's today the 15th, is that right, of January. That will be her physical, <coughs> her physical birthday. But there also needs to be a spiritual birthday. Uh, just because you're here today doesn't mean you have a spiritual birthday. There must have come a time in your life when you recognized who you were and you were born again spiritually. Realize there was something lacking in your life, there was something missing in your life, and it was Jesus Christ, and you received Christ as your Savior. <coughs> you were born again. And Jesus illustrated that here. Nicodemus still seems to not understand. Let's look at it again, verse 7. Jesus says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered him, and said unto him, How can these things be? I'm not getting it. I don't understand it. And so now Jesus now gets personal. He's been purposed, he's been precise, he's going to get personal now, and he's going to take Nicodemus back to where Nicodemus would be familiar. He's a Pharisee, he's a religious leader, he's going to be very Old Testament, isn't he? He's going to be very Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible, and that's exactly where Jesus takes him. 
By the way, don't ever let anybody tell you you can't get saved out of the Old Testament. That you can't lead someone to Christ out of the Old Testament. The Gospels throughout the whole Bible. And that's exactly where Jesus takes them. Notice in verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? He's speaking of his, 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 his position his, of a religious leader. And knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even as the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's right there in the wheelhouse of, uh, of Nicodemus. He knows about Moses. He knows about the fiery serpents. He knows about the sin of Israel and them doubting God and God sending those fiery serpents. And, and then Israel crying out for mercy. God, save us. And God says, here's how I'll save you. I'll make a brazen serpent and I'll lift it up. And if you look to that brazen serpent, you can be saved. All found in the book of Numbers. It's all there. And he hears that. He hears about this saving faith. He says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense to Nicodemus, at least that last part yet. But it will make sense to him one day. It will. And it should make sense to us today, right? Because we live after the cross. And there was a time that Jesus was lifted up on the cross where he provided salvation to all that will look and live. To those that will turn their eyes on Jesus. And then Jesus goes from being purposed and precise and personal to being passionate. Verse number 16. He looks at Nicodemus and says, For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He brings the love. He brings the grace. He brings the mercy of God. Now that would be new for Nicodemus. He was Old Testament. He was law. He was, there was consequence. He's not used to grace. He's not used to mercy. But Jesus brings grace and mercy to him. He introduces this to him. And so we see the individuals of John chapter number 3, verses 1 through 21. But could I talk to you now for just a few moments about the impact of John chapter 3, specifically John three sixteen. Uh, to do that, I want to look at three individuals. Two of them are not in the scriptures, but one of them is here in the scriptures, Nicodemus. I'll get to him. But let me just whet your appetite before we get to Nicodemus with how John 3.16 continues to make an impact even to, to this day. How many of you have ever seen at, a, at some type of sporting event, some goofy guy standing there in the end zone, or in the outfield of a baseball game, holding up his sign, just a white piece of paper, with John 3.16 on it. Remember that? And back in the 70s, how many of you remember that? The guy with the rainbow wig? And he's just standing there and he found himself. 
Uh, by the way, he's serving a life sentence now in prison. Uh, he, he got off the track somewhere, and he's, and he's a goofball, but he, 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 he did that for years. And we saw him on major sporting events. How many of you have heard this name? In fact, I shared these, this story with you last year, but I'll share it again. So those that were here last year, you should remember the name Tim Tebow. Many of you know his name. Played college football and the University of Florida, and then went on to the NFL, and then went and played baseball, or tried to play professional baseball, and he never did reach the heights in his professional sports that he did in his collegiate sports, but as a collegiate athlete, he was an amazing athlete, and, and he had a very strong testimony of knowing Christ as a Savior, as being born again. And in 2009, several weeks before the national championship would take place against the University of Oklahoma, Tim Tebow decided that he was going to write in his eye black, those, those patches, he was going to write down John 3.16. And he did that. He wore it there. It was the first time he had done that. I don't know if other athletes had done that before that, but it, it was quite popular with Tim Tebow. And in fact, that first time that he did that in 2009, they found out later that that, that night there were 94 million hits on Google of John 3.16. People across our country and across, what's John 3.16 about? Why is he putting that on his eye black? And he did that and it caused people to go to Google and they would have read the same words we just read this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, of course, Tebow faced all kinds of criticism for that. You remember? Uh, uh, in fact, every time he'd score a touchdown, he'd bow his knee and he'd pray. And he got criticized for that. Uh, he was the talk of a lot of many sports talk shows and, and how he shouldn't be doing that. By the way, in the last couple of weeks ago, there was, a, there was a, a football player that was injured during a game and had a cardiac arrest. They had to re resuscitate him right there in the field. You know, there was a bunch of people bowing and praying then when their, when their fellow comrade was on the field dying and trying to recover, they were praying then. But they were mocking Tebow years ago for his stand for Christ. In, I don't know if I have there, 2012, in his short professional career he was the quarterback for the Denver Broncos and struggled to be the starting quarterback but because of injuries he was the quarterback towards the end of the season in 2012 and in a miraculous way the the Broncos made it into the playoffs and they were underdogs against the Pittsburgh Steelers in that first round and Tim Tebow played a game and it was an ugly game. They didn't have a, a, a dominating performance, but they somehow won this game. And there, Tebow did not have a great percentage of his passes, but he connected on some that were long runs or touchdowns, and, and they miraculously won this game. And, and so it was a very exciting. Again, he had his John 3.16 on his eye black. He, uh, he bowed his knee each time they scored a touchdown or he was involved in a play, and he thanked God for it. As he was going after the conclusion of that game when they won, he was going to the press conference and, and, and the media guy stopped him and he says, Tim, I got some things for you here before you go in there. And this guy, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but he said, did you know that today is the anniversary to the first time you wore the eye black, John 3, 16? He goes, no, I didn't know that. 
He goes, today is the three-year anniversary from when you did that. And then he says, Tim, it, goes, it gets better. Today you threw for 316 yards exactly. He went on to say, Tim, your average yard per completion was 31.6 exactly. He says, Tim, today your yards per rush were 3.16 exactly. Tim, it goes beyond that. Your t- the, the time of possession was 31 minutes and 6 seconds exactly. The TV ratings today, Tim, were 31.6. And during the broadcast, 91 million more people Googled about John 3.16. Now you might say, well, that's just a bunch of coincidences. Well, that's a whole lot of coincidences, isn't it? I'm telling you today, John 3.16 still makes an impact in people's lives. This morning, I was sitting at my desk, praying, preparing some more, looking in some, some things. I received a text message from a friend of mine from our church back in Pennsylvania. He's a, a big-time hunter. Uh, he, he's a, a great hunter. And um, he, he texts me, he says, I saw your church had their wild game, your wild game supper last night. And I text back, I said, yes, we did, we had a great time. And, and he said, uh, he goes, it reminded me of one of our first ones back in Pennsylvania. We used to have a wild game supper. We called it, we called it the Beast Feast. And uh, uh, we invited, it wasn't near as big as Heritage's. We maybe would have 180 or 200 men come to it. And, um, and he says, he goes, I don't know if you remember a guy named Bob, and he gave his last name, and I, I said, yeah, I do remember. In fact, I just heard about Bob this last fall. Here in that little town back where we pastored, and I served for eight years, little town of 800, Bob was murdered this last fall. Got in an argument with a guy, they were coming home hunting. Got in an argument in the truck, and that guy shot him right there in the truck. And Bob went out into eternity. And I heard that. I saw it on a Facebook post, and then I looked it up, and my heart hurt. I'd met Bob multiple times. He was related to some folks that came to our church. I'd seen him in town. We had talked before. And my heart hurt, because I didn't know if Bob was saved or not. And this guy that texted me this morning, he says, As I saw your post this morning, Pastor, it made me think about Bob who came to one of the first wild game dinners or beast feast that we had back there in Pennsylvania. And he goes, I don't know if you remember this, but he was one of the guys that got saved at one of our first beast feast. And I started thinking about that. And I remember we had a guy that came to be our guest speaker. His name was Chad Shear. He came three different times. And every time he spoke out of John 3, 16. Just a simple gospel message. And I thought there, and as I thought about that, I thought of chills came over my back and tears got into my eyes. And again, just how the impact of a simple verse had an impact on a guy that was murdered here a few months ago. And he's in heaven today because of a dumb beast feast dinner and a simple, powerful message from John 3.16. Well, that leads us back to our 
individual in this text, Nicodemus. It used to bother me that we didn't see a conversion of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. In fact, the conversation just ends, and it goes to a different account. Verse 21, Jesus ends it, and, and verse 22, it picks up about a totally different event. Boy, that used to bother me. Well, Nicodemus, why didn't you get saved? He just told you everything. But that's what happens sometimes. You share the gospel with some people, and they say, not now. They respond, no. But it's not the last time we hear about Nicodemus in the gospel of John. In fact, he'll show back up in John chapter 7, verse number 50. And in that verse, he's not a believer, but he's somewhat defending Jesus and the apostles. He's standing up for them amongst his religious leaders' friends. He, he's, he says some things to defend the, Jesus and his message. But we'll see him one more time in John chapter number 19. In fact, why don't you turn there with me, if you will, to John chapter number 19. In John chapter 19, we have the account of the crucifixion of Jesus. And in verse number 38, Jesus has died. He's been pierced by the sword. Water and blood has run out of his, his side there. He's dead. It says in verse 38, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus, and there came also Nicodemus. And John wants to make sure you know which one. He says, Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now, this, this, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and the garden was a, was a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. You may say, well, he helped bury him. But this was a time when people were concerned about being identified with Jesus Christ. In fact, all the disciples but John have, have fled. They're running for their lives. They think they're next. And so to stand up and to identify with Jesus was putting yourself on the line, putting yourself in the crosshairs of these individuals that wanted Jesus dead. They could want you dead also. And here's what I think happened. I don't have a lot of scriptural proof for this just in my heart. Here's what I believe happened. On that day, I believe Nicodemus was watching the crucifixion take place. This man that had been there in Israel for these three years and teaching and preaching and doing miracle after miracle, and now he's watching him and he's been intrigued by him. He's been drawn to him and he's watching him be crucified. And when they lifted him up on the cross, I believe Nicodemus' mind went back to that night with Jesus when Jesus said, 
even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent, and it all came together for Nicodemus. He says, oh, that serpent in the Old Testament, that serpent in the book of Numbers with Moses, that was a picture of what Jesus would one day do. And when he saw Jesus lifted up, he remembered the words of Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And I believe John 3.16 had an impact on Nicodemus. I believe he was willing to stand up and say, I'll identify myself with Jesus Christ. I'll stand up with Jesus Christ. I'll bury Jesus Christ. I'll be a part of this. And I look forward one day meeting Nicodemus in heaven because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Now I've talked to you about the impact of John 3.16 with Tim Tebow, Bob, and Nicodemus. But what about you? Has John 3.16 and the message of John 3.16 had an impact in your life? Has it made a difference in your life? Have these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Has that ever become real to you? It takes away our religion. It takes away our good works. And it puts all of our trust and faith on what Jesus Christ did for us. If not... Do you understand your condition today? The Bible would describe you as a lost sinner that's separated from God because of his holiness and your sinfulness. And that's why God loved you and gave his son for you. To, to, to take care of our need, which was our separation from God. That's why Jesus Christ came and he died on that cross for us. Paid the penalty for our sins I'm grateful I can go back to a time in my life as a little boy where John 3.16 had an impact in my life. The message of John 3.16 had an impact in my life. I trust you're here today and you know of a time and a place when you came to Jesus Christ and you received the gift of salvation. If you're here today and you don't know, you're not sure and you feel that tug of the Holy Spirit in your heart, would you let the message of John 3.16 have that greatest impact in your life that it could ever have? Would you accept the gift of salvation that God has provided through his son? Would you call on the Lord Jesus Christ? Just as last night, 20 different hands were raised that they received Christ as their savior. Listen, you can be saved today by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Christian, you may be here today and says, well, it impacted my life, and you can go to a time and a place. Wouldn't it be wonderful to let that and share that same message that, sh that impacted your life with somebody else? Wouldn't it be wonderful that you could teach somebody else and show somebody else how they can be saved? Listen, this verse has had an impact on people now for 2,000 years, and it will continue until the Lord returns don't, let, don't walk out of this room today without that impact taking place in your own life personally. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many of you can say with me today, 
I, I, I may have not had that verse at my salvation time, but the message of that verse, uh, the, the message that's being taught from John 3.16, I can go to a time and place in my life when I recognize that I was a sinner, that my sin separated me from God, and if I died in my sin, I would go to hell. But I received Christ as my Savior. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I have a testimony of salvation. You know Christ today. If you were to die today, that you know you would go to heaven. How many of you could say today, yes, that message has impacted my life. I know Christ is my Savior. Here's my hand this morning. How many of you could raise that hand with great confidence today? You know Christ as your Savior. All across the room, many, many hands. Praise the Lord. You may put them down. I wonder this morning, would there be someone that would say, I don't have that confidence. I don't know for sure. I, I may be trusting in something else or depending on something else, but not that. And I'm not sure about my salvation. I promise you today, I won't call you out. I won't recognize you personally. I don't want to embarrass you. But one, I would certainly want to pray for you. I'm concerned about you. I, I care about you, and I want you to know, and I'd love to pray for you. Would there be anybody to say, Pastor, I just don't know for sure if I'm saved, or I, I don't know about these things. I, I'm not certain I've ever had that message given to me and that I've had that impact in my life. And at a bare minimum, I want you, would you at least pray for me? And I'll pray for you in my heart i won't call your name i won't recognize you but i'll pray for you anybody at all this morning pastor i'm not sure please pray for me raise your hand if that would be the case today anybody at all thank you very much father i pray for these today that are not sure lord that you would work in their hearts lord you'd help them to see their need and lord that today would be the day that they would receive christ as their savior and Lord, I pray for the many that did raise their hand that have experienced the gift of salvation. They've already had that, Lord. I pray that you'd burden their heart to want to tell someone else about you. Lord, to share their faith and to lead someone to Christ. Lord, help us to live our lives in a way that would be honoring and pleasing to you. Lord, I pray now that you'd use this invitation. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, they've raised their hand or in their heart they know they're not saved. God, I pray that you'd Help them to walk this aisle today. Speak to someone down here and get this settled once and for all. For the Christian God, maybe you lay a person on their heart, an opportunity on their heart that they pray about today. Or be grateful for their own salvation and want to praise you. So Father, take this invitation, use it for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you stand today? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As the piano begins to play, the Lord spoke to your heart and dealt with you in any fashion. The altar's available. Decision you need to make, perhaps be come today and be saved. Would you respond this morning during this invitation?